for that. Um, and uh, Peter, I'm going to pray for you, and then you are going to preach. Lord Jesus, thank you for this, uh, these two passages, for the Ten Commandments and for the labourers in the vineyard. We pray for Peter now that he will be able to unpack this for us, and that each of us will hear something that we need to hear today, in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Peter, over to you. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Sam. Um, okay, well, I get the privilege of speaking on the first of the commandments in our series, although it's the last of the commandments in the order that, that God gave them. But um, as I've been thinking about it, I, I really think it's it's the most the most interesting, the most powerful of the Ten Commandments. And um, so I'm going to share some of my thoughts with you all this morning. Um, and I also got to pick another passage. So I picked that parable of the 11th hour workers. Um, well, and actually of all the workers. Um, and uh, I'll share some thoughts on that towards the end. Um, but to begin with, um, I think one of the main things that um, that this commandment shows is is that the heart of the law is the law of the heart and and God has always been concerned with the heart uh, he says to Samuel in first Samuel 16 verse 7 man looks on the outward appearance but God looks at the heart and I mean sometimes we have this idea that in the old covenant God was very concerned with external things and with ceremonies and with outward laws but in the new covenant Jesus came and he showed his disciples a different way. And um, if if you hadn't read the Old Testament and you just started reading at the book of Matthew and you got to Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, you might get that impression a little bit because Jesus says, well, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I tell you, even if you are angry with your brother in your heart, then you're guilty of, of that same spirit of sin and and so subject to the same judgment you've heard it said do not commit adultery but i say even if you have lust in your heart you've and he says you've heard it said do not give false testimony but even in your heart and he goes on and on doesn't he but here we actually find when we go back to moses and the old covenant and it's exactly the same thing there are the commands to not murder to not commit adultery to not steal to not give false testimony but then equally to not covet, even in your heart, if you covet your neighbor's house or his or his wife or his servants or his oxen. I don't know if any of you chose oxen rather than the Rolex or the yacht or the pool. If the Salvation Army could pay for any of those things on Sam's list, would you have chosen your neighbor's oxen? Maybe not. Um, but but it's it's the heart that that is is the fundamental thing that God is interested in. Um, James puts it quite precisely. He says that uh, in James 1 verse 14, well, he starts off by saying, God's not the one that tempts anyone with evil, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And it's that desire when it's conceived that gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. And, and that's exactly the dynamic that we see right through the Bible, when different sins happen with Cain and Abel, those two brothers, Cain murdered his brother first because there was this desire to be accepted like his brother Abel was accepted. And when that couldn't happen, it turned into this 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 wicked hatred of his brother. And then he killed him. 
and and fundamentally every every problem in human society is a relationship problem and and every relationship begins in the heart and and so that is what god is fundamentally interested in that is what we need to to learn to control in controlling ourselves and if we were able to control our hearts then then we could control the world because the world is made up of people whose hearts are out of control um so yeah that's that's the first thing i noticed with with this commandment just that actually god's not different in the new covenant to the way he is in the old covenant but he's always been concerned with inward things more than outward things because outward things are the fruit of what's going on inside um the second thing that struck me as i was thinking about this though is um that actually desire uh, that word covetousness is is basically just an old-fashioned word for desire. And um, so the King James actually uses the same word in Exodus 20 for thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's oxen as it uses in 1 Corinthians 14 when it says covet earnestly the best gifts. And it's talking about spiritual gifts and the gifts of prophecy and other gifts that you might have that are given by the Holy Spirit to us in the church so that we can be a blessing to each other. Um, and I've been thinking about how often, maybe even particularly with this commandment, we might have this sense of, okay, I shouldn't covet, so what should I do? Well, maybe I should I should just be very selfless and and maybe the picture in your mind is is to renounce everything and and maybe like a, a sort of Buddhist monk sell everything uh sit cross-legged and and just renounce all sense of self and become one with the universe and that of course is the buddhist ideal um which is quite a popular new age sort of way of being spiritual without imposing your religion on people like those salvationist christians might do saying that you need to believe this um, and, and people these days are much more comfortable doing yoga, maybe a little bit of Buddhist spirituality um, mixed in with their day to day lives, helping them not be too um, swung the other way. Because, of course, the other strong cultural force today is, is just simple materialist consumerism, which says, well, basically human beings are just animals that are evolved to a slightly higher level than gorillas or chimpanzees. And. We can't help the fact that we have these appetites. And so long as it doesn't hurt anyone else or it's not illegal, then then if you want it, get it. Order it online and you can get it to your door as quickly as possible. If, you know, if you're married to someone but you're tired of them, then the culture of the world will say, well, if it's not going to hurt them, if you both agree, then, you know, be divorced as quickly as possible and then go find another woman. But 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 God says no. Um, because the the worldview that we have as Christians is different from materialist atheistic consumption on the one hand or Buddhist selflessness. But but what we're called to do is imitate a God who's a God of relational love as Trinity. He's perfect desire, purified, holy desire. And so the commandment to not covet isn't a commandment never to desire anything. But it's a call for our desires to be purified by a revelation of who God really is and what he truly desires to give us. 
And so Psalm 37 verse 4 invites us to delight ourselves in the Lord. And then the promise is that he will give us the desires of your heart. So if your desire is a swimming pool in your backyard or a Rolex on your wrist, then does that apply to you? Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I mean, I'm not much of a prosperity preacher, but but I believe this promise is true. God will give you the desires of your heart if you delight yourself in the Lord. Now, as you begin to delight yourself in the Lord, the reality is that your desires will begin to change. And you might find that that, that desire that you had for a, a Rolex or a private jet or a swimming pool doesn't get fulfilled, but God begins to satisfy your desires in other ways. However, he might also bless you abundantly in ways that you don't expect. And with that blessing comes a responsibility, not just to fulfill your own desires, but to serve those around you. Um, and that brings me to my third point, that actually I was struck in this commandment by three times the word neighbor is mentioned. Um, let's just turn back to it and find all those. Um, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife and list several other things or anything that is your neighbor's, your neighbor, your neighbor, your neighbor. And, and that's the thing particularly in view here. It's your relationship with your neighbor. And if we were just blinkedly believing the, the world's narrative of, of Darwinism and it's just survival of the fittest and we've got to compete against our neighbors then we might think well i want it and i've got to do whatever i can to get it so long as it's not illegal um but but no 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 god's narrative is completely different in god's narrative we're all part of a community as human beings all part of this family of people made in god's image and called to love each other as we love ourselves and that, again, it's not just a New Testament commandment, but Jesus, when he says that commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves, he's just quoting it from Leviticus chapter 19. And then he says that is one of the greatest commandments, just to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so we're not called to, to compete with our neighbor to see who has the, the flashiest car on the street or the most expensive watch or the, the most powerful new gadget or whatever it might be. but we're called to contentment and godliness with contentment is great gain, Paul tells us. But we're also called to cooperate together and to bless each other and to serve one another. And then to serve not just our little community on your street or in your city or in your nation, but, but the whole world. And of course, we've been going through the whole book of Acts, talking about how Jesus calls us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in our own communities, in Judea, in our own cultures but also in Samaria, in foreign cultures, until the uttermost ends of the earth. Because there's, there's no limit to God's grace. There's no limit to his love. There's no limit to his abundant goodness. And instead, there's, there's an invitation for us to lay down some of the material blessings that we have, yes, but so that we can take hold of the greater spiritual blessings that we will only realize as we begin to reach out to other people and share the, the, the love that God's given us with them. And then it begins to flow through us. And we realize that 
that our capacity can increase to beyond what we ever imagined was possible. Um, and so that brings me to, to the last point that, that I wanted to share, that um, it's not primarily justice and fairness that I think God's kingdom is about. Although God is, God is just and he, he is a God of righteousness. But in thinking about this, I've, I've been struck by the fact that God is a God of abundance and he's a God of mercy. Jesus says in John 10 verse 10, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And, and if we're locked into this materialist mindset, we might think, OK, well, yes, I'm going to name and claim my promise in the name of Jesus. I ask God for the blessings that you've promised me and let me have a nicer house and a better car or, or at least a car um, or whatever it might be. And, you know. Give those desires to the Lord, whatever it is, ask him for the things that are in your heart, because only as you begin to share honestly what is in your heart, can God begin to speak honestly to you and begin um, both to give you some of your desires, but also to transform some of your desires. Uh, but I mean, even this morning. I was struck looking after my kids and um, Isaac and Anu were playing with some of the, the Lego that their grandparents had brought them. and. Um, and then Isaac had started remaking one of Anu's models and Anu was getting upset. And so I said, look, just come with me. And I pulled out a little packet of stickers that I had tucked away in a drawer to try and soothe over some of these sibling rivalry issues when the time came. And so I said, OK, here's three little packs of stickers. Anu, you can pick the first one and Paul can pick one. And OK, Isaac, this one's for you. Um, but no sooner had I done that than... And Isaac was complaining that the one that Anu had got was the one that he wanted. And um, and I was just struck by the fact that total fairness is impossible, really. And, and I think we see that as well in this parable with the different workers in the vineyard. Um, here are, we do, well, we don't know exactly how many, but there's all these different people looking for work and then there's one master owning the vineyard he goes out in the morning and he hires the men that he needs and tells them i will give you what's fair and right and it was culturally accepted that a day's wage was um a denarius uh, a certain coin that represented a day's wage and so those people who start working that's what they're expecting but then the master goes out midway through the day and hires some more people and even at the very last hour, he then brings in the very last people. And, and of course, you all heard the story. He calls the last in first and he gives them a full day's wages. And so the ones that have been working all through the day, they're expecting that, well, if they got a full day's wages just for working that very last hour, then we must get, what, eight times that, ten times that? I don't know how long their working day was. But then when it comes to them, the master gives them no more, but exactly the same. And then they're very upset because they haven't got any more, but they worked more. And so from their perspective, it's not fair. We worked more. We should have got more. But of course, it, what could be more fair than, than to give exactly the same thing to different people? And the trouble is that, that we're all different and we're all in slightly different situations. And 
this is one of the things I have to wrestle with in doing academic social science, that you try and send out a survey or something, and then you have to make sense of what the results tell you, even though all these people have slightly different um, biases and they're from different, well, they might be answering the question in the same way, but the reason that they're answering it that way or what they mean by it is, is slightly different. And, and, and it is a basic fact of life. Like it says in Ecclesiastes 9 verse 11, the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the strong, but time and chance happen to them all. And, and on the one hand, God is a God of justice, and that's the reason why he gave the law to Israel, so that there would be justice in that society. On the other hand, God's justice doesn't necessarily mean total equality and total fairness, because we're all dynamically changing all the time. Even looking at my screen now, I can see on um, Jacob and his, his little kid, and, and we're all different ages. Some of us are older, some of us are younger, some of us are stronger, some of us are less strong. Um, and God's, um, God is a God of justice and he's a God of equality, but above all, he's a God of mercy and his mercy overcomes his justice. And he's a God of abundance. And that abundance means that even in our poverty, we can experience the richness of God's presence. And, you know, when it comes to applying this to legal questions of justice and economic questions of of provision for people, these questions can get quite messy and quite complicated. But for us in the church, actually, we're blessed because the the fundamental meaning of life is is to know God and to enjoy Him forever, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's that's the answer to that question in the Westminster Catechism: What is the chief end of man? And the glorious truth of the gospel is that although the justice of God would mean that we sinful human beings should suffer for the wrong things that we've done, eternal separation from God, God in his abundant love has not immediately destroyed us, but he so loved us that he gave his son to come into the world and to die for our sins. And Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, for that future privilege of being able to have a bride made up of all the different people in his church who who were able to live in eternal, perfect, restored relationship with him. For that privilege of relationship with you and with me, Jesus was willing to lay down his life, to suffer, to give up. Well, to give up first his, his, his abundance in heaven and then to become a poor human being and, and then to give up even his life as a human being and to die on the cross for us. And when we have a revelation of the fact that that is the nature of God and that, therefore, is the very nature of reality, that reality isn't limited and scarce and a reality in which we need to try and hoard as much as we can because we don't know when disaster is going to strike and we don't know whether we can trust anyone. But actually reality, although it's broken by sin and evil, still fundamentally there is this abundance and this goodness in the heart of creation. And so we can afford to take risks and we can afford to be generous and we can afford even to look a little bit stupid when we try and generously share something with our neighbours and actually 
They don't want any of it. And so they slam the door in our face just when we've gone round to knock on their door and say, hello, we love you and we'd love to invite you to church and to give you something or, or whatever it might be that your interaction with your neighbour is. I don't know. Um, we can afford to, to take risks and to make sacrifices because we know that ultimately, even if we die, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God for us to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so why would you want your neighbor's oxen or your neighbor's house or whatever it is when, when we have mansions in heaven and this little life that we have on earth pales in insignificance to the eternal weight of glory that God is preparing for us. And even now, even now, we have the chance to experience that as we begin to use the resources that God has given us, not just to slightly increase our material satisfaction in this life, but to invest them in God's kingdom right now. So I want to encourage you, whatever challenges is it is that you're dealing with this week, to, to be not just content in your situation, but to, uh, to ask the Holy Spirit how you can begin to strategically use the, the skills, the resources, the possessions that he's given you to bless those that are around you, even if you're limited to not gathering with very many of them, or maybe in this season, not gathering with any of them at all. Nevertheless, there's, there's something that God has for you that, that nothing, not even all the legal restrictions on earth can separate you from. So God bless you. Mm. Thank you, Peter. Um, again, really challenging. So much to think about. And I, I just love the point about, um, yeah, the desires of our heart. I've often struggled with that verse. God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, what if our desires aren't, aren't God's desires? Well, the more we get to know God, the more he will shape our desires for what he wants. And, and, and that isn't to covet what other people have. So much to think about. Um,